going to be very honest and very real with this. I believe wholeheartedly that prayer is the most dynamic thing about our faith that the enemy wants to keep us from. Because when we learn to start to speak out and proclaim and we start to learn how to have a real relationship with God, then the enemy knows that it's not just showing up to church. It's not just a nice little community meeting, that there's a group of people that mean business and and understand their spiritual power and authority from the heavens to make a difference in their community and and the people that they do life with. And so... I know that the enemy does all that he can to keep people from church when, when prayer specifically is being spoken. That's why in, in, in Western culture, if you want to keep people from church, call a prayer meeting. Because, well, you know, I got uh, this thing uh, that's going on. Because we think that prayer is boring. It's, you know, and I, you know, I know some of you are going, no, it's not boring. How many times you fell asleep during prayer? <laughs> I mean, think about it. Because if you do it just to check the box, it is boring. If you do it because you think that's what you're supposed to do as a good Christian, it is boring. But when you understand why we do it and how to do it and the purpose and the power behind it, then all of a sudden prayer comes alive and it has this purpose that moves mountains and shakes heaven and changes lives. Martin Luther, the famed priest, says this, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. I love that. To be a Christian without prayer is is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Once again, many churches can... We can do all of this without God. No, we can't. Yes, we can. Go to any smoky bar. They do church every Friday night. They play music. People get emotionally moved. They have community. They have communion, pretzels and beer. They have all of the elements that church has. The difference is by what spirit they are being moved by. And so we could do this without God. And the problem is, is in many churches, we do it without God because we don't invite his presence. And we want to look good and we want to sound good and we want to do all the right things. And we don't want it to be messy because messy starts to turn people away because we think that God has to, to, to be crazy in order for lives to be changed. And the reality is, is what Martin Luther saying is, listen, you can't have the power of God and not be a praying people. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite old school evangelist preachers, said this, true prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is far deeper than that. It is a spiritual traction with the creator of heaven and earth. Transaction, not traction. I can't read. Let Let me read that again. True prayer is neither mere mental nor vocal performance. So it's not just going through the motions is what he's saying. It's not just thinking a thought. It's not just being able to speak it out. It's far deeper than that. It is a spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. It is, it is this moment where you're saying, God, I want to spend some time with you and I want, to, I want to communicate with you and I want to commune with you and I want to build this relationship with you. And listen, there's so much I could preach on about prayer. Um, I, I think next year I'll probably do a series on it because uh, breaking down a lot of the things that the, the scripture actually says about prayer is important. How to pray, what to pray, when to pray. Um, I think we, we've all seen the um, you know, prayers done wrong and long, <laughs> you know, where, where we feel like we're begging God to do something. And uh, the reality is, is that you never see Jesus begging his father to do anything. You never see Jesus going, I'm going to pray for healing. And then he prays and he's like, well, it didn't happen. Okay, let me just keep praying. And, and so I'm going to pray for two hours over. 
And this is, we, we've emotionalized and we have made it a show where God has wanted to make it powerful and purposeful. We've also think that somehow our prayers get to define the answer. And that's why a lot of people won't pray. Can I tell you why a lot of people won't pray? It's because they think that they have to conjure up the answer. And let me, let me relieve you for a moment in, in the power of your prayer. You don't have that power. The only person has the power to answer and to make that prayer reality is God himself. And so when we pray, it's not just praying because we'll read, you know, you'll read uh, scriptures in the Bible that say, you have not because you ask not. And then we're like, Jesus, I want to win the Powerball. <laughs> Y'all, I ain't going to lie. It's a real prayer. <laughs> Lose some people here. If you don't think that I didn't grab a lottery ticket when it was $2.4 billion, you're out of your ever-loving mind. <laughs> and if you don't think that I didn't look at that lottery ticket and say, your will be done, but not mine. <laughs> you're out of your ever-loving mind. Because why wouldn't I say, Jesus, you know what I would do with this money? Like, I, I, listen, listen. You would get about $700 million dollars from that. Somebody got really rich really quick that night. $70 million would go straight to like church organizations. Like, here you go. That's 10%. Could you imagine? I, I would like, I would probably like wet myself in, enjoy, in, in excitement being able to write a $10 million check to my friend in, uh, in Guatemala from Juvenet. I would love that. I didn't win. So it wasn't God's will. And that's the point. You can ask all day long, but if we're not asking to be connected to the will of God, sometimes God knows. No. The answer's no. We don't like that. We only want God's answer to be yes. Right? Yes and amen, Jesus. Yes and amen. And he's like, nope. Here's, here's probably one that we hate more than no. Wait. Oh, you suck, God. Wait, but I live in the microwave community. I live in a culture that has to have it now. If I have to wait, then it isn't good, God. And your word says that you're a good God. So why would I need to wait? And he says, because my time is not your time. My answer is not your answer. Matter of fact, the Bible says it this way, is that uh, uh, higher are his thoughts than our thoughts. That's why the Bible says, lean not on your own understanding, right? Because our own understanding says, well, if it feels good, it must be good. And Bible says, and God's like, no, 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 no. Like one of the worst statements you can ever make is, I trust my heart. That's a bunch of crap. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful. And then we're like wandering around like, God, I just, I wish I knew your will for my life. I wish I knew your purpose for my life. And he goes, when's the last time you talked with me about it? When's the last time you got with me about it? Instead of just trying to figure things out. So I want to take you to two scriptures we used last week. This sweater is going, I'm going to like lose five pounds in this thing today. So John 16, 33 in the Passion Translation says this, and everything I taught you is so that the peace which is in me will be in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrows, but you must be courageous for I have conquered the world. We're talking about over the month of November, how to deal with pressures in your life. What are the right ways to deal with pressure? And this scripture says it, I promise you, you're gonna have troubles. You're gonna have sorrows. You're gonna have days where you wake up and you just wish that you could just go right back to sleep. You're gonna have days where everything goes wrong. You're gonna have days where it just doesn't, you're gonna have weeks where just something feels off. You may even have years where it, nothing seems to come together. But he says, but be courageous. 
for I have conquered this world. In Philippians 4, 6 through 7, in the message translation, he says this, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Now, here's the problem, and I said this last week, is that sometimes we take this word of the, of the scripture to mean that we, don't, we, don't, we shouldn't have the option to worry or fret. And that's not what he's saying. You're gonna have, you're gonna have sorrows. Because God made us human, we're gonna have emotions to those sorrows. We're gonna have troubles, so we have emotions to those, tro- those troubles, right? And so when we walk through it, we're gonna have things in our life that, that just don't end up right, and we're gonna have those emotions that are attached to it. God never said anger was an issue. God never said that lust was even the, the, the initial uh, thought process of lust. Look, if you look at David, some of you are like, where's he going? Lust is a bad sin. You're right. But he didn't condemn David for the first look. He condemned him for the second. Why? Because he may not have been able to control the first emotion because some naked chick was bathing on a roof, weirdo. It was cultural, but, you know. He should have been in war, by the way. Um, so he wasn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't where he should have been. But it wasn't the initial look. Dang, she's pretty. It was when he turned around and knew this isn't right. I probably should go inside. And he goes, hey. Because the second look made his thought process go completely away from God. And told his people, go get her. See, it was the second thought. So it's not that the Bible says don't ever worry. It means, hey, listen, don't let your worry consume you to the point where you start making decisions based off of your worry and your doubt and your fear and fretting and anxiety. Don't allow them to control you. When you get that emotion rising up in you, then instead of worrying, pray. Let petition and praise shape your worries into prayer. If you, if you use your worries to define your prayer life, letting God know your concerns, before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. See, God is saying, listen, I've always given you a way out. The question is, are you going to take it? Are you going to turn your worry into worship? Are you going to turn your, your, your pity party into a prayer moment and say, God, here's what I'm walking through, and I'm going to use that to be my prayer life? It's okay to ask. What does it say? It says literally letting God know your concerns. It's okay to tell him what's going on. He already knows. You're not going to surprise him. Oh, God, I had a bad day at work. I know those words you used. They made me angry. I know, but we need to work on that. And then you turn it into prayer. God, help me to control my thoughts that will control my mouth so that I can be the best version of myself that you've called me to be. See, we use our worry. We use our fretting. We use our anxiety. We use our struggles. We use our fears to define our prayer life and focus in on the purpose and power of God. Prayer Faith in general is not about emotion, but effectiveness. I'm not trying, listen, every Sunday we meet, I'm not trying to conjure up an emotional connection between me and you. Because I don't, it doesn't matter about me. I don't need you, listen, I've been doing this for well over 20 years. I don't need you to come alongside and go, wow, that was a really good message today. Pat on the back for you. Hey, oh man, good job. I don't need that. Feels good. I don't need it because I'm less concerned about your emotional connection to what I say, and, and I'm more concerned with the effectiveness of the word of God in your life. So you want to know how I know when, when God's word and what we're doing is, is, is making an impact? It's when I see you come alive and start to live out the gospel. It's things like Friday night when, when I, we double booked ourselves, and I'm like, oh man, how are we going to serve the co- community? And God's like, it's not about you. People will do it. And Morgan and, and, and Deanne and Rodney and my dad and, and Mike and Sandy and uh, Sabra, uh, they showed up and they served the community and they loved it. And, and, and I'm just so thankful for that. That is the fruit of God's spirit running into our lives. 
not about emotions, it's about effectiveness. Our goal as a church is not to conjure emotions, but to teach and disciple you to be effective in your faith. And when pressure comes, prayer is the countermeasure of God pushing back. I want you to hear that again. When pressure comes, prayer is what God uses to push back in your life. It's the countermeasure. Prayer starts with the example of Jesus, right? All throughout scripture, when Jesus steps on the scene, over and over and over again, Bible says he got up, in, in the book of Mark, it says that he got up early and he went and he met with his father. The Bible would say that, you know, uh, in big moments on the cross, did he, woe is me. Here I am. Oh, why me? And he did in the garden a little bit, right? He said, God, hey, dad, not really liking this plan. So if you could take this, if we could do it any other way, let's do that. But how does he end that prayer? Not my will, but yours be done. He gives the example even of, of it's okay to tell God you don't like some of his plan as long as you're willing to walk it out. I think we're afraid that we're going to offend God. <laughs> God, I, I think you've got it wrong. Oh, okay, let's talk it out. Well, I don't, I don't <laughs> I'm not liking the way things are working, but I'm willing to walk in your will. I'm willing to, to see it play out. God could have, ended, could have made the cross a, a billion different ways. He could, have made, he could have easily made it work to where Jesus doesn't go to the cross. But Jesus had to suffer for our sin's sake. And so there's all of this that has to happen. Even Jesus felt the pressure, and so he, he, he went to God in prayer. And if Jesus needed that prayer life, we need it. He, did, he prayed uh, for miracles with Lazarus. He prayed at the cross. He prayed in the garden. He got up in the morning and met with him. So I want to give you a couple of things this morning about prayer. This is not an exhaustive study. This is a, a, a tool to help you when pressure arises and to get your mindset on prayer. And the first thing is this, prayer creates an atmosphere for his presence. If you ever feel distant from God, the first thing that I'm always gonna suggest, get some time with Jesus. Clear your schedule. You know, uh, old school people, you know, find your prayer closet, right? Watch War Room. She literally had a prayer closet. Um, if you've got a walk-in closet, give a corner to God. I don't know. Do whatever you got to do. I've got a little chair outside of our uh, master bedroom that a lot of times I'll just go sit and I'll just pray. But we've got we've to allow God to create an atmosphere of his presence in our life because if not, we will be so foreign to when God wants to move. Second Chronicles 7.14 very common scripture. We use it a lot of times for, you know, God wants to heal America. I don't think that that's what this scripture's for. I'll tell you what I think this scripture's for. Let's read it first. So, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will restore their land. We get really patriotic with this one, right? Can I, think, can I tell you, I think it's less to do with our, our country and more to do with our land. Right? Old Testament, what, I think it was, um, oh, dang, why can't I think of his name? Joshua, who said, uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So, so, so he's saying, listen, my land, I can't, I, can't def, I, can't, I can't tell what Dan and Rodney are going to do with their land and their family and their people. But as far as my house, as far as the land that I've got, as far as the people that I can control and that God has given me, I'm going to do everything I can to protect and to do what God has called me. And so, so here in, in Second Chronicles, I think the, the, the really the reading for us is this, is that when we pray, God creates an atmosphere of change in our environment. It says, if my people who are called by my name will do a few things, will humble themselves. It's not about you. 
will pray and will seek my face. You notice how praying and seeking his face are two different things? Prayer is communication. It's this conversation. Seeking his face, it's an intimate thing. It's that right up close and personal. It's, you know, like my wife hates it. I'm like, I'm a touchy-feely person. Right. And so so my love language is 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 personal touch. So I'm always up in her business. Like I'm just like right here. Like I walk in the house, I'm like, hi. <laughs> Listen, if I walk by my wife and I don't like touch her or kiss her somehow, like you, something's wrong. She probably like hide and go seek, like, oh God, I hear him coming. He's going to touch something, kiss, kiss me. He's going to, ah, he's got to. But, but listen, that is the idea of, of, of I, can, I can far away, in the, in, if we're on two different sides of the room right now, I can tell her, babe, I love you. That's communication. The hopes that she would return that back. Honey, I love you too. Right? That's communication. That's prayer. That's, hey, look, we could be in the same room. We're having this conversation. We're getting to know each other. We're, we're, we're having a great moment. But seeking his face is intimate. It's uncomfortable at times. The, the unsurety of, of being in the presence of the Almighty is, is literally humbling yourself and saying, God, I want to be as close to you as I possibly can. Listen, seeking his face. Prayer can, can, can be done in a car. It can be done at your workplace. The Bible says pray constantly and continually, right? But seeking his face, that has to be very specific. You have to make time and you have to make room for that. And it's one of the things that I think in an America church, we have forgotten how to do. We could pray because I can do it anywhere. But to put a pause on life, to give God 30 minutes where maybe I throw on some worship music and I just sit and I seek his face. I love when, when Moses um, sought God's face. That's, he, he said, listen, because what would happen is he would put, make, make the mountain a cloud and he, Moses would walk up and he'd be like, God, I know you're here. And God would tell him stuff and he would talk to God and they had some really raw, real conversations. Like there were times where Mo- Moses was like, God, just kill them all. Let's just start over. And God was like, let's not. And then there were times where God was like, Moses, let's kill them all. And Moses is like, God, let's not. Like, read your Bible. It's literally in there. They've, it's been it went both ways with that conversation. They were very real with each other. And finally, one day, God, uh, Moses goes to God and says, God, I want to see your face. God says, no man can see my face and live. He says, but I'll do you the best I can while you're living. And he hides him in the cleft of a rock. And it says that he hid Moses until he walked past him. The Bible says that that Moses saw God's butt and his face shone for 40 days. That's what the Bible says. It's his backside. Well, what's on his backside? Unless God doesn't look like us, he's got a butt. Just (laughs) squirrels playing ping pong, people. That's what the Bible says. It says the Bible that Moses looked at the backside of God and it was so holy and so real and it changed his life so much that, that just the backside of God made him shine so bright that when he came down the mountain, they had to cover his face with a veil because he had been in the presence of God. Because he wasn't just okay with going through the motions and saying a little prayer and saying a little this and and offering up a little token to God. He said, God, I want to see you and I want to see your face and I want to seek your presence and I want to know that you're here and you're going to change my everything. The promise of prayer is an atmosphere of his presence. A shift to God's perspective and the power of God. And the reason why we fear that is because we fear God telling us that we need to change some things in our life. And we fear his perspective being a little bit different than where we want our life to go. And we fear when God's power starts to move because it is out of our control. D.L. Moody, another old school evangelist preacher, study theologian guy, said this, every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling 
figure. I love that. Every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. Can I tell you a word I get really sick of hearing? Revival. I get really sick of hearing that word. Because we've attached it to things that aren't a revival. Come to our revival. Why? Because you've got a guest speaker in a different band? What makes that a revival? And listen, I'm not knocking any church locally. I'm not knocking any churches in general. I'm just saying, we like to use catchy words, and we don't really like to use them in the form that they mean. Study revivals. They weren't pretty. There was no lights, and they didn't bring in Jeremy Camp, and they didn't bring in this amazing worship team, and they didn't bring in five speakers from the the top five uh, churches in America. They didn't bring in people with titles, pastor, bishop, evangelist, so-and-so. Matter of fact, one of the most powerful uh, revivals in America, the Azusa Street uh, Revival in California, you know how it started? With a dude who was so humble and so wanting God's presence to show up that he would go into an, uh, his warehouse and he would put a shoebox over his head and he would pray to God. Nothing flashy about that. Kind of weird, actually. You know why he did that was because he wanted to tune out everything that was going on outside of his moment and his presence and the, and the spirit. And so he would put his head inside of the box and he would seek God's face. And he said, God, I'm not leaving here until you do something, right? This is, this is the, the Jacob fighting with God on the mountain. God, I'm not leaving here until one of us is gone and it ain't going to be me. Jacob wrestled with God on the mountain all night long to the point where God said, I've got to go. It's getting daybreak. And God did because, listen, God could have ended Jacob's life like that, but he didn't. He wanted him to wrestle. He wanted him to seek his face. And so he said, listen, we, we, we got to finish this. We got to go. And so he touched, just touched, just touched his hip, sent his hip out of socket. Jacob said, we're done. God said, got to go. He said, you will no longer be known as Jacob, but you'll be known as Israel. See, because you've sought my face and because you've fought with me and because you are willing to do the things that most Christians and most believers aren't willing to do, which is to pursue my presence. You're no longer going to be known as a liar, but you're going to be known as Israel. We want to change our world. We want to change our life. We want to change our moment with God. Then we have to be willing to seek his face. It is not about what he can do for us, but it's about his presence being in the room. God moves where communication and relationship is found. All God's stories started with an encounter and some communication. There's not a moment that you can look at where God's communication did not, wasn't the, the catalyst for his movement. Moses walking by the burning bush. Moses could have easily walked by that. Would not not have, listen, burning bushes back then wasn't a big thing because of how hot it was. They just, the difference was this bush didn't stop burning. And out of the bush, a voice comes. The communication changed the world and set slaves free. Every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure and a communicative and encountering God. Elijah, Daniel, Peter, Paul, all of these moments have a communication that led to a movement. Prayer denies our selfish thought. It denies our emotions, our fears, our doubts, or our worry and replaces it with the truth, grace, faith, and purpose of Christ. A prayer that says, I must decrease and he must increase. Prayer, it creates an environment of his presence. And if you want to combat the pressures of your life, you have got to allow his presence to be in the middle of it. The second thing that prayer does is this, is it builds community. I think God knew what he was doing with prayer. I also think I know that, that the enemy knows what he's doing with prayer. Man, I'm struggling. I'm, str- I'm struggling hard and I need somebody to talk to. But if I go to Rodney, I'm afraid he's not going to understand or maybe he'll look down on me or he'll know that I'm human. And so instead, I carry the weight and I carry the pressure Instead of sharing it, instead of seeking a 
a brother to, to, to say, I, I've got you. I'm, I'm willing to battle with you. I'm willing to walk through life, the, the stresses and the pressures. and the, you, we, we carry it because we are afraid of what people may think. We are afraid that they may see our flaws. What does the Bible say? James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. See, it didn't even just say ask for prayer. It said confess your sins. Can I tell you why I think that a lot of people don't find healing in their life? They're not willing to talk about what's haunting them. Everything's okay. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm good. Are you? Are you really good? Or are you just stuffing it down inside of you so that you don't have to confront it? And then we get the people, and listen, being a pastor for 20 years, I got story after story of, well, you didn't even care. Well, I didn't even know. Well, I gave you these hints, or I wasn't at church for three weeks. Why didn't you check on me? Well, I don't know, because I've got like two jobs and a wife and a kids, and, and I can't check on every person that's not in their seat. So I'm sorry. But you all had experienced that. Well, I, you know, I wasn't on Facebook for three weeks. I figured somebody would check in on me. No, we just don't really care that much. I think you live in jail on that place. Every time Randy gets out of jail on Facebook, he says one thing, and back in jail he goes. But think about this. We, we are so quick to point out why nobody cares when we're not really willing to talk about it with one another. How you doing? I'm doing okay. And then they walk away because, what'd you say? I'm doing okay. Why didn't you go deeper? Why didn't you really push? I don't have time for that. I'm not Dr. Phil. So if you tell me you're okay, I'm going to take it at face value. I mean, unless you walk in with like, you know, I don't know, a mass arsenal and you're like, I'm okay. I'm okay. Like, I'm going to ask questions. But the problem is, is that we want to fake it in front of everybody and then wonder why they don't care. It's because we don't know. Well, pastor, I was in the hospital. Nobody came to visit me. Nobody knew. You can't blame people for what they don't know. We need each other. Confess our sins and pray with one another. Why? So that you may be healed. Some of you are carrying generational hurts and you're not willing to talk about it. But you're wondering why you can't see your breakthrough. You're wondering why God won't move on your behalf because he laid it out in the Bible. <laughs> Part of your healing is talking and praying about it. Part of the process is inviting people into the messiness of life and saying, we've got you. So that when you fall or fail, when somebody says, I have, I, have an, I have an addiction to alcohol, hey, now that I know, when you feel like getting drunk again, call me. I will gladly stop my time and come with and hang out with you when you say, I need you. But I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to try to guess which version or which person or who am I talking to. I just, nobody has that kind of capability. We are not God. And so we need, that's why the Bible says we need to reach out and we need to confess and we need to ask for prayer because we need to invite people in. It brings healing. Can I tell you what else it brings? It brings power into your life. The Bible says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It brings power and effectiveness to build ties that cannot be broken. That when people gather around you and say, I'm willing to do life with you. We don't need a thousand people to follow us. We don't need a hundred people to like our stuff. We just need a couple people that are willing to battle with us. Got your back. I'm praying for you. Where two or more are gathered. It didn't say where, where Instagram is concerned and you've got a bajillion followers, there I will be. It said where two or more, and we want church to be something that it's not. Bible says, listen, church could be in the middle of the coffee shop when two people are gathered and they say, hey, listen, I'm walking through. Can you pray for me? We don't make it a show. Can I get the lights on me? I need my microphone to pray for her. 
No. Jesus, the greatest thing that it ever said about Jesus, he went around doing good everywhere he went. Why? Because he cared about people. We make it so stinking difficult. We need to build community, and it's built through prayer. Where did the first church start in a prayer gathering? The enemy knows that we cannot do a, we can do a lot about church without God, but a church that gets prayer gets power. And if you want to see real change, we must learn to pray together. We must learn to pray for each other. We must learn to pray for our community. You know, one of the worst things that I think that I hear so many times, and listen, I'm going to look up at the bright lights and I'm going to blind myself so that you don't think I'm talking about you. But I can't stand when we say, let's pray, and they go, I can't do that. Really? You can't talk. You, 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 can't, you can't share your, your, your concerns with God. You can't pray for other people. It's why the enemy knows we're gonna, we can't win in certain scenarios. Oh, well, no, 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 no. You know, who, you know who's a really good prayer person? Sean. Sean's a really great prayer person. He's got a loud voice. He can command a room. What about the meek in heart? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The meek that, that, that may not have this booming voice, but have this sweet spirit that is attached to the very presence and power of God. We've got to get past the fact that the boisterous big person in the room is the one that needs to be the prayer person. There's no, just, listen, find me one scripture in the Bible where it calls out prayer warriors, like they're special. And I will show you a thousand verses that say that we're all called to pray for one another. It, it, listen, in the book of James, it did not say, therefore confess your sins to the prayer warrior in your church so that they could pray for you. And if that person prays for you, they, then you will be healed. It says, no, 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 get with somebody that you trust. Confess your sins and pray for each other. You'll be healed because there's power behind the prayer of people that love Jesus. Next, that prayer builds faith. Prayer builds faith. It, faith is a muscle. It's a muscle. And if, if faith is a muscle, then prayer is the weights. If faith is the muscle, then prayer is the weights. Look at, I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures. They're, they're really short. I love that prayer. Uh, I love that prayer scriptures are short. <laughs> like, you know, we, we think prayer has to be long. And like Jesus is like Colossians 4.2, devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind and thankful heart. Amen. Devote yourself to prayer. When you devote yourself to anything, it changes. When you devote yourself to the gym, your body goes through a, a shifting and a change. Can I tell you this also? When you go to the gym and your body starts to change, you don't like it at first. It hurts. It's painful. You wake up and you're like, oh God, I can't move. Can I tell you when you start to devote yourself to prayer, you may not like it at first because God's going to start changing some things in you. When you start to have that conversation, he's like, man, I, I, I'm getting close to God. But God's also like, hey, Sean, that thought, I need you to change that thought. God, I've always had these thoughts. They're my thoughts. How dare you? He says, well, okay, but if you want to take the next step in growing your faith muscle, you're going to have to change your thoughts. Not that I don't know Sean's thoughts. Just saying. Mine sometimes are out there, two squirrels playing ping pong. But he starts to challenge us. I, I remember when, when God started, I, don't, I haven't cussed since I was like, I don't know, 15. I remember God started to hit me up on some words I use. I'm like, God, I'm not, I don't cuss. He's like, but you could be holier with your words. Get out of my kitchen, Jesus. Leave me alone. Because then we start to get defensive in our prayers and we're like, well, God, I'm not like so-and-so. There's a whole message there, and that's actually in the Bible. Second shortest uh, scripture in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. There's more words in saying that than actual scripture. Never stop praying. Never stop praying. Build the muscle of faith through prayer. Don't stop because it doesn't happen after the first prayer. Matthew 7, 7 through 8. This is in the Passion Translation. It says this, ask and the gift is yours. F-250 Platinum. Nope, doesn't work like that. 
Seek and you'll discover. Knock and the door will be opened for you. Now here's the thing. Here's where we get it. We, we don't follow through on verse eight. For every persistent one will get what he asked for. Every persistent seeker will discover what he longs for. And everyone who knocks persistently will one day find an open door. What the scripture is saying is that one little prayer does not mean that God is going to automatically answer. Matter of fact, in the way that the, uh, the, the Greek words were written in that set of scriptures, the way that it would be articulated best in the American language would be knock, keep knocking. Ask, keep asking. Seek, keep seeking. It's not a one-time thing. It's God. I am going to continue to push forward into your presence and your purpose and your personage until I know that I'm walking in the will of God. And, and right after this scripture, it gives a perfect example. In other words, this is what God says. If you read on in verses 9 and 10, it says, be the annoying neighbor. It says, who, uh, who, who, who has some visitors come late at night and doesn't have enough bread? And so they run to their neighbor and they knock on the door. Neighbor, I know it's midnight, but I need some bread. And nobody answers and they just go home. No, the Bible says that they actually just keep knocking. Neighbor, I need some bread. I know it's midnight. Neighbor! This is the picture the Bible paints for us. That with prayer, we don't just make a sweet little prayer to God, offer it up to him, and then just walk away. That we're persistent in our faith towards God. God, I want to see your face. I want to know your will. I want to live in your presence. God, here's my request. God, I could really use, I could, God, however you see fit, God, my friend needs healing. God, uh, uh, finances are, 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 are off. Keep pursuing. Prayer builds the faith muscle. And lastly, prayer changes things. That's, I know, so eloquent, so theological. Prayer changes things. Let me extend this thought. Prayer changes things, even if the only thing it changes is you. Time and time again, we see the people who have a strong prayer life or communication life with God see the miracles. You want to see miracles in your life? You got to be connected to the miracle giver. You got to pursue the miracle giver. You got to have a relationship and a communication with the miracle giver. How many have ever heard what we call the Lord's Prayer? Um, I think it was named really badly, by the way. I know. It's like, who are you with this small church in Kim to get to say that it's a name? And I really do. I think it's, it's not the Lord's prayer. The Lord already knew how to pray. He said, listen, I'm going to teach you. The disciples came and said, hey, how do we pray? He said, okay, well, I'm going to show you how to pray. I really think it's called, it should be called the disciples prayer because Jesus was teaching them how to pray. Now, I'm going to read to you in the Passion Translation, but we all, you know, you probably all at least heard this before in your life. You know, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our day, our daily bread. Forgive us for our trespasses and we forgive those who trespass against us. We, we, we hear that. The problem is that it has become such a tradition of saying that we miss what it is saying. So let me read it to you in a way that you haven't maybe heard it before through the Passion Translation and see if it doesn't breathe a little bit of life and difference into you. It says this, pray like this. This is Jesus. Our beloved Father, dwelling in the heavenly realms, may the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. Manifest your kingdom realm and cause your every purpose to be fulfilled on earth just as it is in heaven. We acknowledge you as our provider of all we need each day. Forgive us the wrongs we have done. And listen, I love this next line. And as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Rescue us every time we face tribulation and set us free from evil. For you are king who rules with power and glory forever. Amen. I like want that. I want to put that on some billboard and just, just post it somewhere. 
If there is, listen, if you don't know how to pray, let me challenge you. Just pray the Passion Translation version of this like for a week and tell me that your prayer life doesn't increase better. I think sometimes, just like working out, we're like, God, I can't lift 50 pounds. And you're like, okay, start with 10. Start with 10. I love watching those transformation videos where like the 550 pound guy like starts out like he can't do anything. And I'm not making fun of him. It's just like he literally can't move. What can he do? He walks. He makes a decision to go from a sitting, stagnant, doing nothing position. What can I do? I can get up and I can walk. So he walks. The next day he walks again. The next day he walks again. And then by the end of the week, he goes, I'm still fat. He didn't see massive changes, did he? Five months from now. Oh, now he's, now he's, now he's, now he's moving. A year from now. Oh, he's, he's not like got six pack abs. Man, he's lost some weight. Now he's at the gym. Now he's lifting weight. But see, it would have been really easy to sit in the chair and say, I can't lift 50 pounds. I can't run a marathon. Spiritually, this is what we do. I can't pray for miracles. I've never seen a miracle. How can I pray for something I've never seen? So I'd rather just sit here because at least here it's comfortable. And God says, but what, what if you just got up and walked a little bit? So if you don't have a starting point, pray the disciples' prayer from the Passion. If, you, if you're like, I don't have that translation. Yes, you do. Just download the Holy Bible app. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Change the translation to passion translation. Technology is a wonderful thing. And then get up. Listen, day one, I got up and I walked. What did I do? Did I have this powerful prayer moment? I read a prayer. Day two, I got up and I I read a prayer. But maybe by week two, you've read this prayer enough to where all of a sudden you're like, I'm, I'm actually believing some of this. Maybe by week two, you get to that point where it says, forgive us the wrongs we have done as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. And you read that line for the, for the very first time in a different light and you go, oh my gosh, I need to release some people from the wrongs they've done in my life. And I've been waiting. I've been holding on to it. Man, Sean, he hurt me and, and I'm just waiting for him to apologize. Come on, Sean, apologize. Sean, I'm here, Apologize. God says, you're waiting for the wrong thing. Just release the forgiveness. It happens through prayer. When I read this last night, I wrote down these things. This is what this prayer speaks of. God's glory, changing the atmosphere, his will on earth and in our lives, provisions, forgiveness, protection, and honor, worship, and glory. This prayer has it all. So if you've never made those prayers, if you've never put words together, then, then actually, you know what? Don't, don't, don't. I'm going to prove a point here in a minute. I'm going to prove a point here in a minute. We're going we're gonna to end awkwardly. Because here's, here's why. I just did, and as I did it, God was like, no. This is what listening to God looks like. It's awkward sometimes because I want her to play the piano because I want this moment. (laughs) Do you feel it? I saw a clip from a TED Talk where this dude was, maybe not on purpose, but I felt offended, (laughs) bashing how church is in church. (laughs) He said, I use my inflection of my voice. Long pause. Do you feel it? 
And then we have some musician in the background, you know, conjuring up those. It's that moment. What about if there is no music? No emotional attachment. Let's go further. Kendall, turn the lights on. Close your eyes. Turn them all the way on. I have completely changed the emotional atmosphere of the room, but not the spiritual one. Because I don't have that power. And I don't want to walk through these things in life where we conjure up an emotion in a moment, but you walk out of the room and you go, I don't know how to move forward. I'm telling you, prayer doesn't, I don't care if it's in the middle of a field with, with, with the sun shining. I don't care if it's in the middle of the night. Prayer doesn't need an emotional attachment. It doesn't need a worship leader playing a sweet song behind you. And it dang sure doesn't need a building with a pastor and a microphone. All it needs is you and God. And you being willing to be persistent in a prayer life and start to use your voice. I, I will never forget, and I know my wife probably didn't make it up, but I'm going to always get attached to my wife because we were in the middle of a prayer uh, service at our church in California. And, and I'm telling you, like, the prophetic voice that my wife has in the middle of prayer moments, and she's just praying, and she says, God, don't let other people pray our prayers. So many times we expect the pastor or the worship leader or the leaders of the church to pray our prayers. Oh, just just pray my prayer. No, no, no. God says pray your own prayer. You will change. Our community will change. Prayer changes things. The question is, are we committed to doing it? Let's pray. God, I pray that we become people of prayer. What a weird prayer. But God, turn our hearts. Teach us, God, that your word would come alive in our lives. And that God, it doesn't need, um, it doesn't really need anything other than us just being willing to sit and ask. To knock at the door of the heart of heaven and say, God, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. I want to see your face. I want to know your will. And God, here's what's on my mind, and here's what's on my heart. God, I'm struggling with this, and I'm struggling with that, or or I've had a great day, God, and I just want to share it with you. Or I've got a friend who's battling cancer or sickness, or they got in an accident, or just sharing my heart with you, God, and, and I'm asking that my heart is attached to your heart, that your will will happen. The kingdom of God will come down and fall on earth in my little world. God, that's what I want. I want us to know you in such a real and passionate and purposeful way so that we would see the power of God move in our lives. God, I believe in salvation. I believe in miracles. I believe that you want to do that here in freedom, here in Camden. And so God, use us. Uh, There are people in this room that think, I can't pray those prayers and I'm believing that you will show them that they can that you would release your spiritual power through them, not because they are any more special than any one person, but that they would be willing to attach themselves to your presence like Moses. They'd be able to fight for your spiritual kingdom like Jacob. That God, that we would grab a hold of our prayer life and make it mean something because the enemy is afraid of a praying church, not a performance church. So help us to be a praying church. We love you, Jesus. I pray, God, that we are blessed this week. But more so, God, I pray that we would learn how to be a blessing to the community and the world around us. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.